Peaceful Parenting by Stefan Molyneux, Part 16 Restitution Assuming you are honest in your apology, the next step is restitution. Remember the seven-to-one rule. Maybe given the strength of the child-parent bond, we can reduce this to a three-to-one rule. If you hit your children for a year, it will take three years to repair the damage. If you yelled at your children for a year, it takes three years of calm negotiation to restore trust. If you hit your children for five years, it will take 15 years to restore trust. Ten years of abuse requires 30 years of positive interactions to overcome. Are you up for it? Restitution is the act of making whole the injuries that you have inflicted. If you break someone's arm, you pay for their medical bills, rehabilitation, and throw in extra money for their pain, time, and effort. Restitution is defined by the victim, not the perpetrator. Restitution is achieved when the victim is neither happy nor unhappy that the wrong occurred. We have all heard of the scam artist slip and fall strategy. When people get hurt on your property, then sue you for millions of dollars. That is excessive restitution that breeds corrupt and bad behavior. If you ding someone's car and pay for the repairs and give them a free dinner at a nice restaurant, they are not happy that you dinged their car, but they are not unhappy that it happened either. What does it take to achieve restitution with your children? If you break your son's tablet, then getting him a new tablet and restoring the data and maybe buying him an ice cream, well, that should be enough. Restitution is achieved when you are okay with what happened. What would it take for your children to be okay with being hit for years? What would it take for your children to be okay with being hit for years? What would it take for your children to be okay with being yelled at and insulted for years? What would it take for your children to be okay with being dumped among strangers in daycare for years? What would it take for your children to be okay with having their personalities defined by violence, verbal abuse, and insults. Do you see the problem here? I don't know the answer to that. Think of your own childhood. If you experienced neglect, molestation, physical or emotional abuse, what would it take for you to be okay with what happened? I'm fully aware of the seven-to-one rule, so I make sure 
that things don't go even slightly badly for very long, and problems that are found early can be fixed easily. Child abuse irrevocably shapes and forms the personality of the child. Child abuse forms and reforms the neural connections in the brain. How much money would you take to give up 20 years from your lifespan? Instead of dying at 80, you die at 60. Instead of 70, 50. What is 20 years of your life worth? A million dollars? Ten million dollars? Would you take any money to die 20 years earlier? Child abuse can take 20 years away from people's lifespans. Child abuse is the slow-motion murder of the future. Child abuse produces addiction, criminality, promiscuity, ill health, and an early death. Child abuse permanently destroys what you could have been without being abused. It is not a death sentence. The effects can be changed, but it is heavy labor to change them. You can spend days breaking your back and fingernails, digging out of a deep hole. That doesn't mean that being buried in the hole in the first place was okay. People shoot the messenger when no restitution is possible for the evils they have committed. People refuse to reform when reform becomes impossible. People stop saving for the future when death is imminent. If you hurt your children, your children deserve an apology. Maybe this will fix the relationship. Maybe it won't. But we don't judge the morality of an action by its consequences. We don't say that we can't end the evils of slavery because society will have no way to produce food and cotton. We don't say that we shouldn't free political prisoners because it will make their persecutors feel bad or they might have a tough time finding jobs. When I was a child, I was told, do the right thing, though the skies fall. Tell the truth and shame the devil. Well, it's time for us to do the right thing and tell the truth. Though the skies fall and the devil is shamed. After you apologize, you make restitution as best you can. And then you do everything, absolutely everything in your power to show that you will never do evil again. You go to therapy. You study moral philosophy. You take courses in anger management. You reject and abandon the evil people in your life who will not reform. You do everything that is necessary to prevent the return of evil into your heart and your hands. 
there are workbooks written by psychologists that help you get to the root of your own motivations. You buy stacks of these and work through them every night, every weekend. You talk to your own parents. You examine your own childhood. You trace the growth of your immorality. You confront yourself at every turn, challenging the devils that live in the heart of each and every one of us. You weep. You wail. You gnash your teeth. You confront the heart you have blackened with badness. You overthrow the devil you grew yourself to be and throw your broken soul into the arms of the angels. You surrender your twisted will, your excuses, your manipulations, your hypocrisies to the shining standards of universal virtue. You obey what is good, what is right, not your pathetic pleasures of the moment. You stop being a slave to your base animal hedonism and serve righteousness, morality, virtue, God, in a word. You stop making excuses and start making progress. You stop lying for immediate benefit and start telling the truth for long-term happiness. You give your children freedom by taking responsibility for everything you have done and everything you failed to do. You find your soul and then save it. You graduate from self-righteousness to, well, just righteousness, the service of virtue rather than your own ego and vanity. You drop the need to feel right and pursue the glory of being good. Perhaps you make it. Perhaps you don't. Perhaps it's too late. Perhaps it isn't. But I promise you one thing. If you finally and honorably live the values you have always claimed, that you would do anything for your children, the world, not just your world, but the one we all inhabit into the infinity of the future will become inestimably better. Think of all the great souls who have dragged humanity up the thorny cliff sides of virtue. Think of all of the freedoms and opportunities you possess because of the sacrifices of people in the past. It is far better to add to the honor of the species than to exploit the sacrifices of your ancestors. We will all be gone soon enough. The purpose is to be good before we go. Add to the truth of the world, not the hypocrisy that serves only your vanity and those who rule us. Talk to your children.
apologize, make restitution, and be better. Morality is empirical, not verbal. Virtue is for living, not talking. If you are not doing good, you are not good. Stop reading. Go act. Child abuse and power. The purpose of moral education must be to make people want to be good. But why should we be good? Fear and desire are the two most powerful human motivators. A young man is fearful of being rejected, but his desire drives him to ask out girls. Fear of failure is a shadow cast by the drive to succeed. Philosophers have written about almost every topic under sun and moon, except the specific ethics of child abuse and peaceful parenting. Some thinkers talk about being nicer to your children and reasoning with them and using non-coercive forms of punishment. What makes this different from peaceful parenting? These are all arguments from effect. The effects of spanking and harsh parenting are negative, therefore we should not do them. This has not solved the problem of aggressive parenting or society's generally predatory relationship to its own children, its own future. Why not? Well, if the good or bad of an action is to be determined by its positive or negative outcomes, well, that is utilitarianism or pragmatism. What is wrong with that? Everything! A theft occurs because the thief experiences stealing as a positive action. The results of stealing are positive for the thief. A man or woman is raped because the rapist experiences the assault as a positive. If a wife poisons a troublesome husband, his resulting death is a positive for her. We may very well say that surely these people will feel regret and remorse, but so what? It is quite uncommon for a criminal to turn himself in because he feels great remorse for his misdeeds. And even if the wife confesses to her murder, the husband does not come back to life. If we say that we should be nice to our children because that has positive outcomes, we are entirely glossing over the fact that people are nasty to their children because that has positive outcomes for them, for the parents, teachers, and other caregivers. Thieves take more out of the economy than they receive in benefits from stealing. The amount of time, expense, and effort that property owners have to put into protecting their goods from thieves is far greater than the value of the, quote, free stuff stolen by the thief. Does stealing have positive outcomes or negative? 
It depends who you ask. If stealing were always purely negative, it would never happen. If violence were always negative, it would never happen. Bad things happen because they feel good to bad people. You'll feel better if you don't hit your children and your relationship with your children will improve and they will do better in life in the long run. So please don't hit your children. Nonsense. Does that work? You are asking for cruel and vicious people to empathize with one, their children, two, their children in the future as adults, three, themselves, four, themselves in the future over time. If people had the capacity to empathize with themselves and their children both in the moment and for the decades to come, they wouldn't be cruel and vicious to begin with. Modern exhortations to better parenting all involve appealing to the conscience of people who have no conscience. It's like saying that only Japan has a problem with bad parenting and then making sure that no books designed to improve parenting ever get published in Japanese or in Japan. Madness, right? Diet books for thin people. How to quit smoking for people who've never smoked. How do you get people without a conscience to act better? We already know the answer to that. If you don't have a conscience, you only fear consequences. If you have a conscience, the consequence you fear is having a bad conscience. If you don't have a conscience, well, you won't feel at all bad about any crime, brutality, or violence that you can get away with. Do you understand that jails exist for people without a conscience? Let me ask you this. If you could steal a million dollars and know in advance that you would never be caught, would you take it? Would you murder someone you hated if you knew you would get off scot-free? Would you cheat on your spouse if you knew you wouldn't get caught? Do you refrain from crime out of a love of virtue, the fear of your conscience, or a fear of negative consequences? Clearly, parents who abuse children do not love virtue, and they do not fear their own conscience. They may have moments of unease, even regret, but these flash by like trees past the window of a midnight train. Do child abusers fear any consequences? It doesn't seem so. Certainly not enough to change their course. Do you understand why child abuse has not stopped? There are no consequences. People who read books on parenting are already good parents. They're just looking to become better. How do we stop bad parents from abusing their children? 
they abuse their children largely because they refuse to defer gratification. They get angry, they lash out, they feel better. And there are no negative consequences. And most likely, you are colluding with the abusers. You are an abuse excuser. Do you doubt me? Have you ever counseled an adult victimized by abusive parents as a child to forgive, work things out, go back, reconcile, be the bigger person? Have you ever made excuses for abusive parents? They did the best they could with the knowledge they had. They meant well. That's how they were raised. Imagine a friend coming to you saying that he had been seriously abused as a child and was thinking of taking a break from seeing his unrepentant parents. What would you say? More importantly, how would you feel? We both know, most likely. You would feel anxious, frightened, tense. And you would attempt to reduce your anxiety by telling your friend to forgive his or her parents, to not be too judgmental, to be the bigger person, to rise above, and to not make a decision that she would regret for the rest of her life. Sadly, most of us are foot soldiers in the war against children. We collude with the brutalizers. A young man unjustly persecuted by a brutal regime. Well, he knocks on your door. You invite him in, give him a coffee, then quietly call the secret police to come and take him back to the gulag. But it's even worse than that. We send adults escaping abusive relationships right back to their abusers and threaten and curse them if they refuse to return to those who brutalized them. We collude with evildoers to keep the cycle going. We cripple the escaping slaves who beg for our help and then send them right back to their owners. We betray principles, children, virtue, and ourselves. We collude with evildoers, then endlessly complain that the world is immoral. What will you do when a friend reveals that he was abused? Will you stand up for what is right? Will you have sympathy? Or will you snarl and scowl and send him back? The future of the world depends on your decision. How do we stop people from abusing their children? Consequences. If society promotes the idea that it is healthy to escape abusive relationships, then people will restrain their abuses out of fear of consequences consequences of losing touch 
with their victims as they age. Society runs on virtue, on violence, or on ostracism. Ostracism is the shunning of others. Moral ostracism is the shunning of evildoers, those who refuse to apologize and make restitution. We punish evildoers through ostracism. That is the only consequence that can help reform them. That is the only blowback that can give them pause. When I was a child, the government ran endless ads trying to convince people to stop drinking and driving, and smoking as well. In all these ads, horrible negative consequences were shown. Mangled bodies in wheelchairs, people croaking words out of a hole in their throat, bodies and morgues, you name it. Frighten people with the consequences of their own actions and you will change the minds of a large number of people, even if the dire consequences are unlikely or decades down the road. Children are threatened with losing a year of their life if they fail to study for tests, do their homework, and pass their school grade. People are threatened with fines for speeding. If you don't pay your taxes, you go to jail. People who make Unpopular or offensive arguments on social media are banned, doxxed, fired. Sometimes they lose access to bank accounts, the right to fly or rent a car. They lose their reputations and incomes. They are viciously punished for words, not deeds. It can't be that we avoid judging abusive parents because we, as a society, just hate to be morally judgmental. The hysterical and vicious moralizing mob charges from person to person, pitchforks and flaming torches at the ready, looking to castigate and destroy with random attacks. We absolutely love morally castigating our fellow citizens. We are addicted to it. It's what millions of people wake up for every morning, the chance to condemn and attack moral transgressors. Yet. Yet. Yet abusive parents somehow escape this rampaging mob. It's quite remarkable, really. The mob considers itself an upstanding moral force, tearing across the social landscape, attacking, uprooting, and destroying people's lives for the wrong words, the wrong ideas, unpopular arguments, and offensive memes. It's very strange to see. When... You see it, at least. It's like watching a thunderous river coming down a mountainside and then strangely parting around one rock in the middle, flowing all the way around it, never touching it, but destroying everything else in its path. Do you see? A parent who viciously beats and abuses a helpless little boy. Say nothing. The mob doesn't even whisper. People just pass right over it. All these moralists who want to attack evildoers, they ignore abusive parents and instead point their rage at people who make unpopular arguments. This is why it is impossible to take the moral mob in any way. Seriously. They are the attack dogs of the rulers. They have no more morality in them than jackals descending on a playground. Do you see the 
hypocrisy. In the hellscape of modern morality, abusing a child is fine and should be excused and forgiven. And you should really learn to love such a vicious monster. But quoting inconvenient facts or making unpopular arguments, that can never be excused, never be forgiven, and such a person must be utterly destroyed. <laughs> this is the world we live in. This is the world made by abusers. This is the world we create and support by betraying the victims of child abuse. I promise you one thing. We won't survive much longer if we don't stop. If evil people should never experience negative consequences, then let's just make that a principle and live by it as a society. There should be no punishments, no attacks, no consequences, no police or courts or jails, no enforcement of laws, no failing children in school, no attack mobs, no cancel culture. No one must ever experience any negative consequences for misdeeds or evil actions. Wait, you, you don't want to live in that kind of world? You think that bad people should face negative consequences? You think that evildoers should be punished? Then why do you excuse abusive parents? If your good friend reveals that she has been beaten by her husband for the past decade, would you... Encourage her to forgive him and go back home and understand his bad childhood and realize that he was doing the best he could with the knowledge he had and find some way to love him no matter what? Of course you wouldn't. But if that same friend reveals to you that she was beaten by her parents for ten years straight, you know exactly what you would say. You would tell her to forgive and forget, to move on, to be the bigger person, to continue to see and defer to her parents, to understand them, to sympathize with them, and to put the past in the past. Do you see the hypocrisy? The abusive husband your friend voluntarily chose to marry and stay with is stone evil and she must escape him. The abusive parents your child never chose to live with, who abused her when she was a helpless and dependent little girl, well, she's a bad person for even bringing their abuses up. She must never get away. That would be judgmental, wrong, insensitive, selfish. And you will curse her. Should she even think about escaping? You have to reconcile with them or you will regret it for the rest of your life. It's unthinkable that a wife should stay with an abusive husband. It's unthinkable that an adult child should escape abusive parents. It's good for a woman to escape the abuser she chose. It's evil for a woman to escape the abuser inflicted on her by blind nature. It's all 
too revolting for words. <laughs>